Hello. Welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. What a great day. Welcome to summer. (laughs) The people in Minnesota are watching. (laughs) We don't want them to know. You know, the other... A couple of weeks ago, my sons were taking a break from tour and uh, we picked them up at the airport and they'd been hearing about the fires in California and uh, something else and something else. And one of the national newscasters uh, said that California has become unlivable. (laughs) And uh, so Tim flies in and and it it was a day like this and we pick him up and and uh, we're, we're driving past the harbor. And if you knew Tim's sense of humor, he looks out at the harbor and he says, unlivable. <laughs> so here we are. So grateful to be with you. You know, I was with some dear friends yesterday who uh, were celebrating life in just a fabulous way. Uh, um, just a, a gal that was facing... Uh, stage four cancer, and uh, very serious, and uh, is going to live. And, you know, and, uh, and I just had tears in my eyes, thinking uh, as all the friends and family were just celebrating life, that life is such a gift, isn't it? Like, you woke up. <laughs> The rest is gravy. <laughs> you know, we woke up. We're living. It's beautiful. I also want to welcome uh, a dear friend of mine, Ben. Uh, I know you're somewhere here today. Hey, would you just welcome Ben? Yes. Uh, ben has been with us many times. I've known him for a number of years. I think we actually met in Africa, of all places. But um, uh, he, uh, he, he is phenomenally working in a, in a restricted country that I can't publicly mention, but uh, so proud of him, like a son. And uh, we're hosting a lunch at 1230 Upstairs, you know where that beautiful view is uh, in, in that building C. So it's the classroom off, uh, right off of it, where you can hear what Ben is doing in uh, this Asian country, and uh, be encouraged in your own soul uh, to see what God is doing. You know, God is everywhere. Did you know? You know, sometimes you feel like our back is against the wall, and we're just like, oh, we're in against the ropes. We're about to die. And. Um, God's got the whole world in his hands. He's got you and me, brother. He's got the little bitty baby in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. And we're going to study that uh, this morning. If you have a Bible, you can turn with me to Exodus uh, chapter 5, and we're going to conclude with Exodus chapter 14. Yes, I'm going to cover uh, nine or ten chapters today of the book of Exodus. We'll be out by dinner No, we'll do it in 39 minutes, so we'll be flying at 30,000 feet, and I'll just be pointing out different things in the landscape of Egypt as we go past, but I want to give you a a bird's-eye view 
uh, from the life of Moses. We're studying leadership. And before I pray, I want to just slow the train down long enough for everyone to get on board, okay? We're studying leadership from the life of Moses because from the life of Moses, we glean things, principles about leadership that are not in the common leadership manual. The first one we learned was the death of a vision. All of us have had the death of our vision. We died to ourselves, and now we are alive to Christ. The big vision of who you could be without God had to die, and now we have the vision of who we could be in Christ, right? But many of us had, have had deaths of a vision, uh, of our vocation, of issues in our family, issues uh, of our health, where we've, we wrestled with something, and in the process, we had to come up with, well, God, what is it that you have for me? And that was a letting go and a grabbing on of what God has for you. Now, to do that was the second principle, which is dependency. You can't do it. You can't do it on your own. So we're, we're dependent on God. We rely on him in prayer. We rely on him in every way imaginable because apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, all things are possible, right? So the huge issue of dependency. Those of us are the most resourceful, most reliable, the, the MacGyvers and the Martha Stewarts in the room, uh, you have the most difficulty with the issue of dependency because you're amazing. <laughs> and you would never say that, but you live that way. You're just like, well, they gave up. They can't do it, but leave it to me. But every one of us eventually gets to that brick wall where we say, I can't do it. Moses, in his life, he hit it with the idea of the exodus. I can't do it, but God can. Now, the third lesson we have, you have to come back next week to hear the fourth lesson. I'm not gonna give you any hints. But the third lesson today is perseverance. The lesson of perseverance. And this is gonna be a remarkable lesson because it's counterculture. There is nothing in our culture, unless you're into long distance running, you're the Ironman that loves to do a triathlon. There's nothing that really promotes perseverance in our lives. We have instant culture, and when it comes to relationships that we don't like, we have cancel culture. We just cancel the relationships that cause us difficulty, right? And that eliminates the possibility of you and I learning perseverance. So with instant culture, we can have anything we want now. What stock do you want to buy? What do you want to sell? It's right here. What do you want to order for lunch? It's right here. Who do you want to date? It's right here. Who do you want to say hi to? It's right here. It's instant, and there's not the way, oh, you want to order a suit or a dress? Right here, we got it, it'll be delivered to your house in two days. What do you want? So the waiting that used to be a part of culture, you know, the preparation, all of that is eliminated. So it's instant, but then, 
The other thing that creates perseverance and character in us is contrary people. Do you have any contrary people in your life? Don't look at them right now. (laughs) Play it cool. Yeah, so now we have cancel culture where whether it's on social media or personally in relationships, we are not having relationship anymore because you did this, you voted for this, you thought this way, you had this idea, and I cannot stand you, you're done. I'm done with you. So the perseverance of how do we love, how do we grow together, how do we keep our friendship, and, and how do I learn from you, and how do you learn from me? It's being eliminated. You with me so far? So we have a problem on our hands. If perseverance is big to God, we are living in a culture that's eliminating the value of perseverance. Let me give you some scriptures, and then we will pray. Some scriptures just to reinforce the value of perseverance. James 1.12, blessed is the one who perseveres. You want to be blessed? Persevere. Under trial, because having stood the test of time, that person will receive a crown of life. 1 Corinthians 13.7, this is the one we all love. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In our culture, does it? 1 Timothy 4.16, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them. Persevere in your life and in your doctrine. You're to watch it carefully because we're living in dangerous times. And then finally, Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5 Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know, do you know? We know that suffering, that is difficulty, hardship, the waiting, the consternating, the pushback, the resistance, that produces perseverance. And perseverance produces character. And character produces hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. So we're going to learn about perseverance. Are you with me so far? Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we need your help on this one. Because some of us have not been schooled to value waiting pressing on and persevering. So Holy Spirit come open our minds and school our hearts in perseverance, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So Winston Churchill said this, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to persevere that counts. Forget your failures, forget your successes, and let's just look at perseverance. So the first thing I notice when I'm studying the life of Moses from this lens of perseverance is that oftentimes it gets worse before it gets better. Aren't you glad you came this morning to hear that? You think it's bad now. (laughs) 
It could get worse. Chapter five, verse one. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, this is what the Lord, and anytime you see in the NIV, uh, the Lord, not this version. This is, this is the NIV, but uh, it is taken, it should be capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And that is the translator's tip off to you that it is the four letters that make up the name Yahweh, which is the name of God, uh, the, the unutterable name that the, the Jews will not mention because it's, it's a holy name, uh, as opposed to when it's written like this, which is the word Adonai, which is the word Lord, like we would use the word Lord. Sorry, too much information. Forget I said that. You know, we'll just, uh, we'll move on. So, the Lord God, the, the God of Israel says, let my people go. Pharaoh said, who is Yahweh, the Lord, what, that I should obey him and let Israel go? I don't know Yahweh. I, I, why would I let people, your people go? So Pharaoh's thinking, which is a pantheist, polytheist thinking, there's multiple gods, the God of the Nile, the God of this land, the God of the sun, the God of everything. And, and so this Yahweh God has to be some God of something, but Pharaoh is the most powerful man on the face of the earth. So all the gods are aligned behind him, evidently. So why should I listen to your God who has just led your people to be slaves in my land and now this piddly little God says, let my people go. So that's the game on. Is Yahweh a piddly little God against Egypt's gods or not? And that's the thinking of Pharaoh. So that same day, verse six, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and the overseers in charge of the people. You are to no longer supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. That would be like if you're a contractor, you're a builder, and you need lumber and you cannot now go get lumber. You gotta drive up to Oregon and cut down your own trees, and you gotta build houses at the same speed and the same quota that you were already building houses, only you gotta go find your own darn trees. So with that, it gets worse. Require them to find their own straw to make their bricks. So you're Moses now, now what do you do? And the answer is you persevere because sometimes it gets worse before it gets better. Think about relationships, think about work, think about things in life, and you realize I'm right. It gets worse sometimes before it gets better. So this is the big, hairy, audacious goal of Moses. It's not just to move 2.4 million people from Egypt to Israel. If you wonder how I got that number, twice it mentions, both in Exodus and in the book of Numbers, the number of military men in Israel at this time, which happened to be 603,000 men. So then you figure, okay, if some of, or most of the men were married and they had kids, 
somewhere between two and 10 children. Uh, let's say that at a minimum they had two children each and they're married. There you are, 2.4 million people that need to be moved. But then that's not the idea. Remember our first message on death of a vision and, and, and find the bigger vision? Moses just doesn't want to move people from one place to another. He wants these people to realize their great God, Yahweh. And God is going to give them the law. God is going to reveal himself and his nature to them. And they, when they get into the land of Canaan, they are to become a prototype for the rest of the world to see this is the nature of this great just God so that the rest of the world wants that God. That's the big, hairy, audacious goal that he's aiming for. That's the purpose. So Moses meets resistance from all sides. He first meets the resistance of Pharaoh. What? Not going to do it? But now he meets the resistance of the Israelite leaders. Chapter 5, verse 21. They're now realizing that they got to make bricks without their own straw and go find it. So they, in anger, say to Moses, may the Lord look on you and judge you. Can't you hear it? You have made us obnoxious to Pharaoh and his officials and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. So now what do you feel like? You ever been there? Have you had this day? Where not only you get opposition and resistance, but now there's friendly fire. Your own people are angry with you. And that stirs up Moses' insecurity all over again. So in chapter uh, 6, verse 12, Moses says, if the Israelites will not listen to me, why would Pharaoh listen to me since I speak with a faltering tongue and lips? He goes back to the fact that he has a speech impediment and he didn't want to do this job in the beginning. So it all feels like it's falling apart. So you've been there. And in those moments of extreme failure, we ask, why God? What are you doing, God? And I want to ask, did God ever answer you? I have a file bigger than yours. So the why file never gets answered. To my knowledge, the what file, that is what do you want me to do now, always get its answered. It's just the wrong question. You see, the why puts God in the defendant's chair. You're the prosecutor. Sounds totally fair, right? Where were you, God, on the night that you should have been there? God, we want you to tell us. That's not going to happen. We need to flip roles. You're in the defendant's chair. God is now asking you, what are you going to do, little buddy? Now that it's more difficult than you thought, you thought you could skip right into Pharaoh's palace and say, hey, good to see you again. I know you tried to kill me before. Right. Well, I'm back. And now I'm saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh's going to say, oh, great to see you. Be gone. Have a nice day. It gets worse before it gets better. And so Moses finally takes it all back to God. I'm back in chapter 5, verse 22 again. And he says, why, Lord? And they ask the question. He ultimately decides that God 
wants him to press on and persevere. And that's what we'll talk about. The word persevere in the Greek, in the New Testament, which is, it's an amazingly important concept, but not in pop culture, and sadly, not really in Christian culture much today. Let me ask you, if I put on a conference here on perseverance, like we create a trifold, I put it out on social media, uh, we announce, hey, come on, come all, we're having a conference on perseverance in North Coast Calvary. And it is simultaneously happening to a conference somewhere else on the Holy Spirit, a conference somewhere else on the second coming of Christ, and a conference somewhere else on being relevant in 21st century Um, how many people will be here at the Perseverance Conference? It's just not what we want. How many came today saying, I hope Mark talks on perseverance. (laughs) So the word perseverance in the Greek is hupomane. Hupo is a prefix that means under. Mane is a, a... verb to mean abide. And so you put those two together, it means to abide under the pressure. You can picture a weightlifter. He says, put some more on, put some more on, put some more on. I can lift this too. I can squat this. I can press this. Hupomane is hanging in there when the pressure is there. And the Bible says that we cannot develop character without being under pressure, like a diamond. You don't become a diamond by just having happy thoughts as a piece of coal. You become a diamond under pressure. So sometimes it gets worse. Thomas Edison said this, many of life's failures are people who did not realize how, to close, how close they were to success when they gave up. Woo. How close they were. Now, why would Thomas Edison say that? Let me give you a lesson from Thomas Edison's life. When he was young, he was accused by one of his teachers, and I quote the words that he or she said, that he is too stupid to learn anything. Sounds like some of my teachers about me. Uh, He was fired by his first two employers. He failed 10,000 times to create a commercially viable light bulb. The 10,000th and one time the light bulb worked. Perseverance. And now he holds 1,093 patents in America, and he's the founder of one of our largest publicly traded companies, General Electric. That's Thomas Edison. Another name, Walt Disney. Perseverance, it gets worse before it gets better. Fired by his first employer for not being creative enough. (laughs) Don't you love that? bankrupt at the age of 22, had his entire organization and animators taken from him, 
struggled through the Great Depression, and before he created Disney, he was $4 million in debt. How about Albert Einstein? He didn't talk until the age of four. He didn't speak well until the age of nine. He was considered to be mentally handicapped. He was expelled from school and denied entry again. And he walked alone for years with his theory of relativity and barely escaped the genocide of World War II being a German Jew. And now he's the Nobel Prize holder and considered to be a genius, discovering relativity, gravity, blah, 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 blah. It gets worse sometimes before you get better. So I'm here to encourage you. Why did you bail? Why did you let go of that vision? Why did you let go of that prophecy, that idea, just say like, oh, just it was too hard. The fact that it's too hard might be a sign from God that you're right on schedule, you're right on track. The second principle about perseverance is we gotta get up and do it again. That's what perseverance is. Am I right or am I right? You have a choice. <laughs> Perseverance is getting up and doing the same thing you already did. It takes a while. Someone once said, Perseverance is the hard work you do after you get tired of doing the hard work you already did. It sounds like something I would say. Chapter 7, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother like your prophet. You are to say everything I command you and your brother Aaron is to tell Pharaoh to let the Israelites go out of his country. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart and though I multiply my signs and wonders in Egypt, he will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt in mighty acts of judgment and I will bring on divisions, all the divisions, that is the tribes of my people, the Israelites, and the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring the Israelites out of it. So Moses has to get up every day and go to Pharaoh again and say, let my people go. If you do a word study on the phrase, the Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, you'll find that not only are there over 200 entries, almost 250 entries in the Old Testament, but in this condensed portion, there's dozens and dozens of entries where Moses just, again, hears God say, get up, get up. Go do it again. Go to the same man. Go to the same palace. Say the same thing that I've already told you to say. Let my people go. Perseverance. And so that's exactly what Moses does. And he begins to have these miracles happen that you and I would say, 
I'm totally letting you go. That's enough. The first miracle is he has his staff turn into a snake. Pretty cool. You know, I've never seen that. All our magicians that are on TV and do these wonderful things, I've never seen that one. Throw your staff down and it becomes a cobra. So what I've never seen also is the magicians of Pharaoh imitate the miracle. And beyond me, I don't know how they did it. I don't know the power of black magic. I don't know what they can do, what they can't do. It's beyond me. I can only serve what's in the pantry. Where the Bible's silent, I'm silent, so we'll move on. I just say, I don't know. But the snake of Moses and Aaron swallow up the other snakes. Now that's pretty cool. (laughs) Now they're staffless. So, second miracle, turn the water to blood red. Was it blood, literal blood, or was it a a red tide where all the oxygen is sucked out and the the fish can't breathe? It's beyond my pay grade. I don't know what it was, but it happens, and the magicians of Pharaoh repeat the miracle. So it was already half the water was all blood, and they say, oh, yeah? Well, we'll show you. We can turn the rest of it blood, too. Now you're beginning to think that they have a mental handicap here, that they are not understanding. Because you would think that they should perform the miracle of undoing the red, right? So it gets worse. Frogs. Moses hears God say again, get up, go do it again, let my people go. He goes, and... He says, if you don't let them go, frogs are going to invade your land. The magicians say, oh, yeah, we can create double the frogs. And now, so now they have frogs coming out their jacuzzi, out their, out their shower, their bath. It's just frogs, 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 frogs. Finally, we get to one that Pharaoh's magicians can't do. Gnats. If Harrison Ford hates snakes, I hate gnats. No seams and gnats I do not like. I don't. And there's gnats everywhere. And it says the magicians don't know how Moses did it. It's God warning him. Let my people go. Why are you being resistant? It's God holding him down. God making Pharaoh come to his knees and realize there's a king, a God, more powerful than he is. And the next plague is similar. It's flies. I also hate flies. It's got to be part of the curse. So what's going on here? It's very simple. God, in a very light way, is letting Pharaoh know that he is the most powerful entity in the universe, not Pharaoh, And he needs to obey Moses. But what's Moses doing? Every day, get up, do it again. Get up, do it again. So now the plagues intensify. You're still there, right? So God now begins to put his finger on things that are very precious to Pharaoh. 
that are going to make Pharaoh hurt. The first is to touch the livestock. And there's some kind of plague, disease that goes through the livestock, and many of the livestock in Egypt die. The second plague is hail. And hail falls probably the size of Texas hail and destroys the crops and any livestock that are out there. And then the third plague is locusts. Ugh. You've seen that on the Discovery Channel. <laughs> Just this cloud, dust cloud of grasshoppers coming to eat everything in sight. And then finally there's darkness over the land and then the ultimate plague which is the death of the firstborn male of every Egyptian family. God incrementally putting the squeeze on Pharaoh. Doesn't hurt yet, doesn't hurt yet, doesn't hurt yet and finally gets to it. Now some of us, I have to get you on board with me because some of you are so into our culture right now and we have chronological snobbery where we judge other cultures that aren't as enlightened as I am. So when I read this, I think, oh, this is horrible. What kind of God would hurt livestock or what kind of God would touch the firstborn of the Egyptians? What a bad God. Now listen to yourself. So we, very good people, are judging God as what a bad God, but we don't understand uh, two things. One is the incremental stages by which God is getting Pharaoh to do one thing, let my people go. And it's Pharaoh who's the bad person in the story who's so full of pride that he wouldn't let the people go. In my own life, I've had this discussion with God very early on in our ministry about God, you cannot touch anything that's precious to me because I'm so special and I'm so good. You can't touch these things. So I had just moved from Pasadena Fuller Seminary up to Lake Arrowhead uh, to start my family and to start my ministry. And on the salary I was being paid, I couldn't afford anything, including finding a rental. And no one was going to help me. And time was ticking. We were staying in a motel room. John's about to be born in a motel room. And I can't find a place. Searching, not an extra room, nothing. And finally, I had it. I go out into the forest, and I yell at God. You ever been there? And I yelled really, really loud. I'm sure the squirrels were terrified. (laughs) And I said, what are you doing? Are you out of your mind? There might have been an adjective there. (laughs) (laughs) And I said to God, you can touch anything you want to teach me any lesson you're trying to get me to learn, but do not touch my wife and do not touch my son. Got it? I don't know if it was God or me, but do you know what I heard back? It was kind of like Jewish humor. God said to me, so what am I supposed to touch? 
your used Toyota Corolla? Because <laughs> that was the only thing I owned at the time. So my Toyota Corolla, and I said, oh, okay, okay, I learned my lesson, God. But he had my attention. He fully had my attention. And I fell on my knees, and I said, God, I give up. I give up. I'm yours. I'm in. Whatever it is, I'm in. And it was a, it was a fish or cut bait moment in my life. Are you only going to follow God when it's good and easy and convenient? And we had to press on, and we had to press on and press on, and finally got a place to live. So it sometimes gets tough for all of us as we're persevering. Perseverance is not for the faint in heart. In Abraham's case, Abraham had to persevere a long time to inherit the land and to have the firstborn child, Isaac, that God had promised to him. There's an old Japanese proverb that says, fall seven times and stand up eight. But I like Julie Andrews better. She says, perseverance is failing 19 times and succeeding the 20th. Yeah, so you get up and you get up and you get up because you have a higher vision. God has spoken to you. There's something worth getting up for. And that brings me to the final point. Holy tenacity wins. Holy tenacity sounds like something out of Batman. (laughs) (laughs) Exodus 14.30. I told you we'd get there. We're in chapter 14 now. (laughs) That day, the Lord saved Israel from the hands of the Egyptians. And when the Israelites saw the mighty hand of the Lord displayed against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord, and look at this, and put their trust in him and in Moses, his servant. What a great day to persevere all the way and realize the Lord is God. I am putting my trust fully in him. In 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you gotta memorize this verse. It says, no temptation, and the word temptation is equally translated testing. So if you're not dealing with a temptation, use it as testing. It's the same word. No testing has overtaken you except what is common to everybody. You're not the only one. So don't use that line. Like, why me? Why is God? It's it's happened to a lot of different people. But watch this. God is faithful. He will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. But when you are tested, he will also provide a way out so you can endure it. There is the word persevere right there at the end. You can persevere because there is a way out. Just keep going. There's, there's an end to this. This is not forever. There's an end to it. Now, the part that says he will not let you be tested beyond what you can bear. Many, many times I have told God, I think you have the wrong guy. You are beyond what I can bear. I think you got me mixed up with another foreman. You sent the wrong thing. 
It's tough, but he knows what you can bear. He's testing, persevere, and there's a way out. There's a celebration at the end. The first verse of chapter 15 is a big song, celebration, that the Israelites have once they've gone through the Red Sea. So perseverance is this big deal. It's combining your will with God's plan. And your will is being tested. Do you love God and do you trust him? Now, in church, we always say, of course. I love God and I trust him. But in the test of life, when the things that are precious and dear to us begin to be challenged, what do we do? So here's something to remember. Perseverance. Perseverance who's doing the uh, PowerPoint, you're going to have to go back and find this because I realized I, I didn't say this earlier, but I think it's important. Perseverance is faithfulness that's heading towards something. Faithfulness, can you find it yet? There it is. Faithfulness on assignment. That just came to me this morning. I thought, I got to get up and write that down. Faithfulness on assignment. The assignment is you have something in mind. There's some kind of picture that you're aiming for. You want your family to know Jesus. You want, uh, you want to use your occupation for something besides success. You want to somehow reach other people with the love of Christ. You want something. It's faithfulness on assignment. And so you get up and you do it again. You get up and you do it again. So what are your discouragements? What are your setbacks? What are your failures? It's okay, little buddy. You're in good company. Abraham is in your camp. David is in your camp. Moses is in your camp. Moses failed with Pharaoh Every single time but one. And even then, Pharaoh came after him to the Red Sea. So you get up and you do it again. So in your personal life, when your hopes, or maybe you're dealing with sin, my challenge to you is get up. Get up. If you're having difficulty with relationships, whether they be family or friends, don't cancel them. You gotta get up. Persevere. If it's in your occupation or your vocation, you're being promoted or demoted, I don't know. You gotta get up. If it's in the vision that God's given you and that unique thing that you feel like he's spoken to you, don't give up. You got to get up. You don't have to win the race today. You just have to put one foot in front of the other today. And it's doing something in you. The distance that God is achieving in you is bigger than the distance that you will ever achieve outside of you. Ooh, Mark, that was amazing. <laughs> I know, I should say it again. 
the distance that God is achieving in you and your character is bigger than what you will accomplish outside of you. It's perseverance. Back in the 50s, some of you will remember this, those of you that were in Psych 101, you'll remember this guy that, uh, what was his name? Kurt Richter. Didn't invent the Richter scale, forget about that. But Kurt Richter decided to experiment with rats to see how long they could swim before drowning. You remember this? Now, those of us, I know, we're, we want to protect the rats and they need to stop doing that. But this was in the 50s, so just relax. So in 15 minutes, the rats drown. Can't get, find, some of the rats, it says, swam all around the bottom of the bucket looking for a way out. They couldn't find it, and they drowned. The next day, not the same rats, <laughs> a different set of rats, he puts them in a bucket. And after swimming for five minutes, he rescues them with his hand, puts his hand under them, pulls them out, helps them to revive, and then puts them back in the water. Couple times, rescues them, puts them back. Do you know how long they swim? 60 hours. Now you ask, what is the difference? Not the biblical hope, but he calls it hope. That hand that rescued me might show up again and rescue me again. Keep swimming. And now, fast forward to the 21st century, you know what they've also found out about perseverance? Studying athletes who persevere? There's this internal body drug called dopamine that you get a happy high over persevering. So if you ask, why are these people killing themselves in the Iron Man on the coast of Kona? To, it's for the dopamine. The happy high, feeling like I persevered. I did what I wanted to do. Now if that's true for rats, and that's true for triathletes, how much more for Christians who are running a race that's higher and bigger and more important. So my word to you this morning, my leader friends, some of you are leading great corporations and some of you are just leading your own soul, is don't give up. It's time to persevere. You have one person to just keep in front of you. It's the man, the son of God, Jesus who never gave up for you and ran the race, even wanting to give up in the Garden of Gethsemane, ran the race, carried his cross all the way to Calvary. Perseverance. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this counterculture lesson in leadership. And God, we open our hearts to learn this lesson. 
not cringing, but God realizing that many of us have gone through this story not knowing the big picture of what you were doing in us and through us. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would visit every person here, giving us a pat on the back in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our families, in the goals that we have in life, that you give us a pat on the back. Let us hear a word from the Holy Spirit saying this is the way, walk in it, be strong and courageous. And God, we pray that you would raise up a new generation of Christians, not just here, but around the world, who are perseverers because of you. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.